0: Bibles to Revelation 19, the book of the Revelation, chapter 19. If, if you need a Bible, there's a, there's a um, and I encourage you to grab one if you don't have one. If you don't have it on your phone or your iPad or iPod or your um, other d- mobile devices, uh, you can grab a Bible into baskets that are on each end of the row and uh, turn to Revelation chapter 19. Well, it's been a few weeks since I've been in the pulpit. My friend Kevin preached a couple weeks ago, and then last week Jared preached on and did a great job covering a huge topic of ecclesiology. So thankful for Jared's gifts and willingness to serve us uh, with that. And but I'm also thankful to be here and back in the pulpit this morning because I love to preach and teach. And um, and this morning we are concluding our series on ology, the study of, and we call it a study of basic Christian beliefs. And uh, we have worked down through, uh, this will be the sixth one. We had a double one there in the middle, but we had Bibliology, what about the Bible? Anthropology, uh, who is man? Soteriology, what is salvation? And then we had two on doc- doxology. We split them up, how, how, how do I worship our own personal life? How do we worship? How do we ascribe worth to God? How do we worship together? And then last week again, uh, Ecclesiology, was what is the church? Uh, ecclesia is a word for church or gathering in the New Testament. That's where we get this. And then today's is eschatology. What about the end? And the word escha means last. So it's a study of last things. That's where we get the word eschatology. Um, And I hope that through uh, this series you've been able to examine your foundation. We We talk about these being fundamental or foundational beliefs. You've been able to examine your foundation to see if there's any cracks in it to see if it needs some repairs or to, needs to be relayed. And not only, I hope you've examined that and can say, yeah, here's some areas that I need to grow in. Here's some areas I need to mature and Here's some areas that I really re- need to rethink completely. Not only do you see what they are, but you begin to take steps to address them. Right? If our foundation begins to crack and we just keep watching it crack, we're in trouble, aren't we? It, it, if we don't get the, the the slab jackers, remember I told you about that. We had to have our foundation fixed, and we had a basement in, in Illinois, and the driveway was leaning into our basement, which is not in good when it rains. And we had to get the slab jackers to come and fix that. And I don't know what they call them around here, foundation. The people that make a lot of money around here, right, Jason? I'm fixing foundations. We need to call the great foundation fixer in and use his tool, the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, and allow him to fix our foundation. So we build on a good foundation. And this is something we need to do all of our life. Keep evaluating our foundation and see where we need to be repaired, where we need change so that we can grow up into all that God wants us to be. So um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to dive in here. Lord, uh, we come to you this morning again during this time in our worship service where we set aside some time to look at your word and to hear from you from your word and Lord that's what we want to do this morning we want to hear from you we want to be changed by you through your word uh, Lord so I pray that um, for me and for everyone here that we would uh, sit under your word not over it or we would uh, listen with intent not only to hear but to be changed would help us honor your word by listening and obeying this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who's ever heard uh, this statement? He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. Anybody heard that? Yeah, okay, a few people. He's so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. And, and what people are saying when they, they make that statement, is this, they say this person is so thinking about heaven and eternal things that they're no good for life here on earth. They just are, are kind of off in space right that's kind of what people are saying when they say that well i believe that this statement's false the bible actually teaches that in order to be of any earthly good you must be heavenly minded uh, it, we will see this truth in the with the apostle paul when we get to the book of philippians and i can't wait in two weeks we'll be in the book of philippians starting the book of philippians hallelujah I like teaching verse by verse through books a lot better. It's actually a lot easier in some ways um, to do that. And, but we've been doing this series. I think it's been helpful. We'll be in Philippians. We'll see that in the Apostle Paul um, in, in a couple of weeks when we get in Philippians. But we'll see this idea of that he was heavenly minded. So the truth is a person can never be too heavenly minded. He can never be too heavenly minded. You can never think of eternal things too much because if you truly are heavenly minded and think of eternal things as far as scripture it will make every difference in your life now it will make 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 all the difference the problem is that most of us are too earthly minded that we are no heavenly good and we're going to see that this morning Uh, we focus on the temporal instead of eternal I, I, i know i do way too much and my guess is you're not much different than me we focus way too much on the temporal instead of eternal. This is why it's so important we study eschatology, the study of the last things of the last days, so that we can think about eternity. So who here would like to have all your questions answered this morning concerning the end times, last things, eschatology? let be honest. Okay, we've got a few of you to be honest. I, mean, I, I do too. I want all my questions answered. And I'd love to have them answer the next few minutes of our time together. But the truth is, it ain't going to happen this morning. We're not going to answer all your questions. And in fact, we could study this subject the rest of our life and have not all, all of our questions will not be answered. And even some of the answers that we think we get, we'll discover later where that wasn't quite as what I thought it was. And we won't even have an assurance that all the things that we think about eternity are true that we got it all right we need always to approach this subject with care and humility knowing that there's disagreement between christians on eschatology people who really love the lord they love the word of god they believe it's an the infallible authoritative word of god and there's disagreements on the things about the end uh, when it, speaking of this eschatology charles spurgeon said this it is honest to admit that there is much room for difference of opinion here if you know much about Charles Spen- Spurgeon, he didn't have much diff- room for difference of opinion in a lot of areas, but he did when it came to eschatology. Um, and when it comes to the Christian theology, there are, there are there are first, second, and third order issues. So what I mean by that, um, uh, here, I'm going to go back there. Okay, there we go. What, what I mean by that is is that first order theological issues are those that are essential and central to the Christian faith, uh, such as the Trinity, the full deity and humanity of Christ, that He was fully God and fully man at the same time. It's clear. Uh, The the incarnation which would which would include uh, his life, death, burial and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, Uh, the, the, the inerrancy, the infallibility of Scripture, justification by grace through faith alone. Uh, the virgin birth the substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ meaning that he died in our place that we might be forgiven those are essential, central truths of the Christian thing that faith, these first order issues are essential so essential that if someone rejects them they're not a Christian those are essential things to say that they're not true when the Bible clearly teaches, me you can't miss it in Scripture, is you're not a Christian. You're not the, uh, someone who's trusting the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Then, then there's second-order theological issues, and they're different from first-order issues in that true believers in Christ may disagree on these issues, but these issues may separate us in into different local congregations some of those issues these second order issues are things like baptism so you have baptist or those who are baptistic and we're baptistic in this sense that we believe in believers baptism that the scripture teaches that those who trust in lord jesus christ then they're baptized by immersion to show outwardly what happened inwardly all right that's that's and then then there's also a, other view that's maybe a covenantal view they they baptize infants all right, To bring them into the covenant. They don't, I'm not talking about people who believe in baptismal regeneration. People who believe uh, that you're saved because you're baptized when you're an infant. That's not what I'm talking about. But to take those who baptize, in the sense, is it, they bring them into the covenant, but later on they need to trust in Jesus Christ. But we have a difference of opinion there. And generally that separates people into different congregations. But we can still have close fellowship. They're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's a second-order issue. Also some things about the Lord's Supper. I'm not talking about transubstantiation where the, 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 the wine and the, and the bread become the body of Christ. But some people believe there's a, there's a spiritual presence of Christ that comes in the Lord's supper communion. It's not a her- heresy. It's not meaning I'm not a Christian. Um, but, but, so those are second order issues that may divide us into different long, uh, congregations. Then there's third order theological issues. And, and, and the things that, that Christians may agree on and still have close fellowship within a local congregation. All right. and third order theological issues is where eschatology lands the study of the end times the study of the last things and, and this should not keep believers from being close fellowship within a local congregation because we have differences on the end times some of the greatest thinkers in, our, in, the, in the church in history have had differences on this and I'm not going to put myself in the same category as those guys um, and, and I would encourage you not to either alright uh, it will not this will, eschatology this third order issue will not divide us here at Grace Bible Church we will not allow that to divide us no way no way should ever leave the church when, when, uh, over eschatology well there, there's some extreme views that aren't even biblical at all and you could never get them out of scripture but in general so I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones says concerning this we must not divide on the question of prophetic uh, interpretation pre, post, all millennia and so on not one of them can be proved, so we must not put them into the category of essentials. You have your views. Hold to them. Let us discuss them together. Let us reason together out of the Scriptures. But if we divide on these matters, I maintain that we are guilty of schism. We are putting into the category of essentials what is non-essential. We don't want to do that here. This is a third-order issue. But I'm not... Please don't hear this. I'm not saying it's not important. It is important. So let me, let me clarify a couple of things here. It's not that everything concerning eschatology is unknowable and as clear as mud alright that's not what I'm saying at all uh, there are some things about eschatology about the last things that are absolutely clear in scripture you can't get around them it's some of the details involving some of these bigger things that we would all agree on that is where it gets difficult it's not as clear as some of other things also know that the details are unclear not because God is unclear God is never unclear ever he's completely clear the problem is not God. The problem is me and you. Right? Our inability to understand some of the th- things that he gives us, we still don't understand. them. think about what Peter wrote about Paul. He says, and there's some things he writes that are hard to understand. That's the Apostle Peter talking about the Apostle Paul. And God gives us some things about eschatology And times that the issue is not that he's not clear. The issue is that our mind is unclear. That we're the problem. Uh, so with that said let's let's look at a brief overview of some of the things that scripture presents concerning eschatology or the last things so all christians would agree that jesus christ is coming again there's a second coming he's coming back there's an old song called the king is coming y'all remember that the king is coming i've heard the joyful sound the king is coming and, and, and it's, it's just a beautiful song about the king is coming and that's true we would all agree he's coming back we all believe that there's a millennium either literal or allegorical and we'll get to that in a second or figurative but there's a millennium thousand years um that's what millennium means we all agree there's (coughs) a final judgment we'd all agree to that we'd all also agree there's going to be a new heaven and new earth those four things we would all agree on to some degree Uh, and the, the specific understanding of these things may be a little bit different Uh, But those four major things are clearly taught throughout Scripture. So let's take a few minutes this morning to briefly examine these four truths concerning the last things in order that we might live with urgency for the glory of God and look forward to his appearing. Uh, So after then we examine these four truths, uh, let me say this again. We're going to examine them briefly. Briefly with a capital B, all right, and capital everything else. Briefly this morning there's no way we can get into detail on any of them in in, in some ways but after we look at those we're going to take a few minutes minutes to look at the implication of those on our lives and uh, i promise you they have huge implications for our lives so let's begin with the first truth concerning the last things if you're keeping an outline here's point number one for those of you like to keep an outline here's number one the second coming of christ that's the first truth we want to look at this morning concerning last things. The first thing I want us to see from scriptures concerning the second coming of Christ is the second coming is promised. The second coming of Jesus Christ is promised. It's promised many times in Scripture, and Jesus speaks of it a ton in the Gospels about his second coming. Here in which we saw in John, when we were going through John, the Gospel of John, John 14, 3, Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus said, I will come again. Has Jesus ever lied? It's impossible for him to lie because he's God. He said, I will come again. He will come again. And he stressed this over and over and again throughout the Gospels. And, th- and the New Testament writers remind us that he promised he would come again. So the second coming of Jesus is clearly promised in Scripture. The second thing I want us to see from Scripture about the second coming of Christ is the second coming will be visible and bodily. So what do I mean by Why do I say that? Visible and bodily. It will not be some mystical second coming. It will not be some spiritual second coming that, that, that actually some people believe. this. say already he's already come back. We're living and this is it. This is as good as it's going to get. But he came mystically and spiritually. And it's happening. man. if this is as good as it's going to get, we're in trouble. All right? But some people So he said, and, and others said about him, it would be bodily and visible. He would return to earth just like he left. You can't miss that. And we see that in Acts 1, uh, verse 11. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking at the sky? This is the apostles. Jesus is ascended to heaven. And, and th- th- these angels say, this Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's going to come back the same way. He, the one who just ascended, will come again. <clears throat> Thank you, brother. <clears throat> I pre- yeah, I need to sound good. Thanks. <laughs> I don't think this is going to make me sound any better, but it might make me talk better. Thanks. So, so he's going to come back visibly and bodily it's all through he said i will return i will come back how else would they have understood it except visibly and bodily it's the only way the original readers and the people he was talking to would have understood that so he will come back visibly and bodily that's in the second coming the third thing i want us to see from scripture about the second coming is the second coming will be sudden it will be sudden now notice what Jesus says about this in Matthew twenty-four, forty-four. For this reason you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you not, do not think he will. Boom. It's going to be sudden. It will be sudden, but there will be signs that precede it. In, in Mark chapter 13, if you just want to write that down, we find all kinds of signs that precede the second coming. Things like wars and rumors of wars. And a greater degree than we even got going on right now, there will also be he talks about earthquakes, and I believe it's it's going to be a, a just huge outbreak of earthquakes and natural, what we call natural disasters, not really natural because God's in control of them, right? But huge disasters going on. There will also be false prophets and false Christs, plural. Yes, there'll be an antichrist, one dude, but there's going to be a bunch of false prophets and a bunch of antichrists as well. It says that these will precede the second coming. Now, the fourth thing I want us to see from Scripture about the second coming is the second coming cannot be nailed down to a certain date. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew twenty-five, thirteen: Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. As soon as someone states, Jesus is coming back January 4, 2017, write them off. They have nothing else to say because they're wrong. How many people have done that, especially in the last 20 years? Hell bob comet, and all this kind of stuff. And then, they all, then the ones who don't do stupid things like commit suicide that still stay around, they say, oh, I, I misfigured. I misremembered or something like that, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's crazy. The Scripture says we're not going to know the date. We will not know the day that he's going to come. Jesus said even the Son of Man... In his, in his earthly side of him, that the Father had not shared when he was here on earth when that was going to happen. He knows now, and he even knew then, but he just, he willingly submitted himself to the Father so he wouldn't give that information away. But nobody's going to know the day, the hour, not January 17th or something crazy like that. Now, let me say this. There are some differences between Christians as to the exact application of some of these passages I just shared. Uh, um... But in general, we could all agree on these four things that I mentioned here about the second coming. That it's, it's promised. It's going to be visible and bodily. It's going to be sudden. And then it cannot be nailed down to a certain date. Uh, so the second coming, it's going to happen. Are you ready? Are you ready for the second coming? The second tr- tr- truth concerning the last things. So we have the uh, we have the second coming next we have the millennium all right now now some these are some things where there's some differences here among believers on the millennium and the millennium speaks of a thousand year reign of christ spoken of in revelation 20 if you just want to write that down revelation 20 you'll see the word a thousand a thousand years mentioned like five or six different times in the first seven verses a thousand years without Satan will be bound for a thousand years. Christ will reign with believers for a thousand years, and you see this over and over again. A thousand years in Revelation twenty. So let me just briefly summarize the three major views on the millennium. All right, the first one is a millennialism. All right, millennium, millennialism is spelled. You start with an A. All right, M I L L M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L-I-S-M, I S I S M. All right, millennialism. The word ah there means not. Alright, in fact, in the, word, in the Greek, if you put an, a, an alpha in front of a word, it means negative. Alright, so this is where they get the word all millennium. They don't believe that there's going to be a literal millennium. Uh, they ha- hold that Revelation 20 is currently happening, that we're living in the millennium. It's all millennium, so there's no real millennium. Uh, the reference to a thousand years is a figure of speech for a long period of time in God's purposes uh, will be accomplished throughout this period all right and jesus will come back but there's just this ongoing millennial that we live in even now um now some people will think that who disagree with that and say what 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 i mean they think it's figurative speech and all that kind of stuff what are they reading all right now be careful all right be careful i want us to all be careful when we talk about prophetic uh things about things that prophesying the end there's two extremes there's some that say well the book of revelation is 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 uh, apocalyptic it's it's all about end time stuff, so we need to take everything in that book is allegorical. That's wrong, because then you have to do the same thing with the book of Daniel that talks about the end times, right? But we say well, Daniel didn't live. It's just a story about Daniel. That's what you have to do. That's an extreme. There's other people who who what I would take say take everything woodenly literal. What do I mean by that? Well. In Revelation, we have this that says that Jesus had a, a, a tongue like like a sword. Does that mean he had a, a, a sword that came out of his mouth? No. Like. Did you hear like? It means a, a simile or, or an it's allegory, right? So they just, well, yeah. It, that's, it means that these dragons, they had seven heads. You know, Jesus had... Uh, all this description of Revelation, that all that is what Jesus looked like. No, it's describing characteristics, and it makes it clear that it's allegory. It makes it clear that it's a simile. It makes it clear that it's, it's sharing an example of, of what it's like. It's not a literal wooden, all right, literal translation. We believe in a, a grammatical, historical, literal interpretation of Scripture, which takes into account allegories. Right. So both of those extremes, that, that it's all allegory or none of it's allegory. The truth is that when it says it's allegory, it must be allegory. So now, there's a debate about the thousand years there. I'll just tell you that. I personally think there's a literal thousand years. I don't think there's allegory there. That's my personal thought about this and studying this. But, but just don't kill somebody because they'd be upset with somebody because they think it's figurative. doesn't mean they're not a Christian. So, but that just, just as we think about all millennialism, that's a, a quick, quick description of all millennialism. This ongoing, we're in the millennium now, and God will bring about this not a perfect world that things are going to get better and then god uh christ will return post all right post-millennialism. post what's that mean after right so these believers re- uh, believe that christ will return after the millennium and they generally see the millennium as a an allegory a, a figure of speech as well uh, and the church will grow and the world will get better and better and better and the christ will return all right so it's post-millennialism he will return after the millennium, and there's similarities between amillennialism and postmillennialism. Not, not exactly. Some postmillennialism um, people are um, way out there, and, and they border on heresy in that they actually believe. I talked about this earlier. That it's all. Also, you could use the word preterist. They believe that all the prophecies have, have been fulfilled. All right, we're in the millennium, and we'll be in the millennium forever, and this is as good as it gets. Okay. And then the third one, premillennialism. Okay, Christ will return before. The millennium all right there's there's two different categories here historical premillennialism christ will return before the millennium of, uh, after a great time of tribulation the dead in christ will be raised and new and given new bodies and reign with christ for a thousand years all right so this historical premillennialism is that christ will return before a millennial reign all right and then there'll be the new heavens and earth so we have christ return after the tribulation Okay, And then there's being a thousand years. Now, some of them believe a literal thousand years, historical pre Some believe it's a figure of speech for a long period of time. But they believe he will return before that. And it, we're not in the millennium right now. Then there's pre-tribulational pre Try that for a size, right? Pre-tribulation, pre Let me explain that. Pre-tribulation is talking about the great tribulation that's prophesied in Scripture. There will be some terrible things. You think things are bad now? It's not even close as bad as it's going to get on this earth at some point. Now, pre-tribulation, pre believe this. They believe that Christ will come before the millennium, all right, and before the great tribulation of seven years as prophesied in Scripture. Um, that's, that's what they believe. They also okay, believe in something called the rapture. Everybody heard the rapture? It's a Latin word for the word taken up. Okay, and, and and that comes from this passage in First Thessalonians four sixteen through seventeen. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. So the rapture is not an actual return of Christ to the earth. If you notice, it says that he'll they'll meet him in the air. Uh, he'll appear in the air and he'll call believers, dead in Christ, those who are dead and those who are alive, and they'll meet the Lord in the air. Okay? This is the rapture. He'll take out believers. He'll take out Christians from the earth. All right? Then after the tribulation, okay, they'll be taken out. Christ and all believers will come back and reign millennium okay, for a thousand years with Christ on earth. Then there'll be in the new heavens and the new and the earth. Okay? So all and believes that it's going on right now. And, and Christ is going to come back, and then it will be new heavens and new earth. post believes that there's a millennium that's going to take place at a certain time, and then after that, Christ will return. And then premillennialism believes that Christ um, will return before the thousand-year reigns. And there's different historical and then pre-tribulational. Now, you all got that, and you can wake back up now, right? Um, also, let me say this about the pre-tribulational view. It, 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 there's a, they, they believe there's a special place for the nation of Israel. And also hold to, uh, the, the, and, and his, many historical premillenists also hold to something special with the nation of Israel in the end. Now, regardless, I, I believe this all in my heart. We have got to be careful about theological systems because they're man-made. And when, when something in your theological system doesn't line up with Scripture, don't keep holding on to it. Just say, well, that, that's that's the tough one. We all got to admit that when it comes to these kind of things. So I believe, as I study the Scripture, that you cannot disregard that there will be a mass conversion of Jews to belief in Jesus Christ as Messiah during the end times. And I, I believe it all my heart, because Romans 11 clearly teaches it. You, you, there's no allegorical, literal. there's no things that can get around Romans 11 when it comes to this. Where does that fit into your theological system when it comes to the end times? It's got to fit in there somewhere. Because it's clearly taught in Romans. This is part of Romans 11, 25 and 26. For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles has come in. Now I'm telling you, that passage, Israel is not allegorical. Do you see that? It's not talking about the church because it's, it's, it's what? It's, it's contrasting Israel or Jews with Gentiles. It's clear this is not an allegorical use of the nation. Now, is the nation of Israel sometimes used allegorically? Sure. It's not here. Not even close. Right. So it has come in. Right. So there's been a hardening of Jewish people. They're not coming into the body of Christ. All right. And then there's this whole new thing, this thing where there's a bunch of Gentiles coming in, which most of us would fall in that category. I'm not aware of anybody who is a Jewish citizen here. You might be. But we've all concluded that. We all have come to know Christ so this fullness of Gentiles come in and, and so all Israel will be saved just as it was written the deliverer will come from Zion he will remove ungodliness from Jacob that, and, and when I say all Israel will be saved those who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved doesn't mean everybody's going to be saved regardless and if you look in context it doesn't teach that so there's going to be some kind of mass conversion in the end times at some point no matter what you believe of Jewish people coming and saying that is our Messiah we missed him why would we adj- object to that oh, no, that can't happen. Why? 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 Don't we want it to happen? And it teaches in Scripture that that it's going to happen somewhere in there. So there's also, and I'll just throw this out there, there's an unconditional promise made to Abraham. This goes along with a pre-tribulational view um, that his descendants would would, um, be given a land that God promised, unconditional promise, and Israel has never occupied all the land that he promised, ever, in the history of Israel ever not in david's reign not in solomon's reign not now not even close uh, it's never ha- happened so he actually promised that th- th- they would uh, uh, they would get the, all of this land and they never did and it was unconditional promise not based upon their their goodness but on his greatness so this is another thing to think about when we think about these things so here we go we've now that's briefly touched on the second coming of christ and the millennium that you're thoroughly confused let's move on all right the third, the third truth concerning the last things is the final judgment. We'd all agree there's going to be a judgment, didn't we? All agree with that? Scripture clearly teaches there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment that, that involves two things. There's going to be a judgment of non-believers, and you find that in Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. It's called the Great White Throne Judgment, and the non-believers are called the dead. They're spiritually dead. And they're going to be judged, and they're going to, at the end of this, verse 15, they're going to be cast into a lake of fire forever because they refused to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Right? That's unbelievers. They'll be judged because they rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. Then there's a judgment of believers. And this is found, it's alluded to in Revelation 20 as well, but it's also found clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. So look at this. Paul writes, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. Each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved as yet through fire. So this person, even if their, their works are judged as not worth being rewarded for, they don't lose eternal reward, right? They don't lose their salvation. They still are given salvation with the Lord. He's talking about believers. So this is, this is a judgment of rewards for the things we've done in faith. For the glory of Christ. And our, We can do good works, right? But we can also do them for what we get out of them. What will happen to those, they're all going to burn. But when we do it for what Christ gets out of them, we're rewarded for those things. So there's a judgment of non-believers. There's a judgment of believers in the, in the final judgment. The fourth truth concerning the last things is new heaven and earth. This is generally what people think of when they think of heaven. Who wants to go to heaven here? Great. Almost everybody. We'll pray for the rest of you, alright? Alright. Everybody wants to go to heaven, right? We all want to go to heaven. Heaven is a place where God's people are in his unveiled glory and presence forever. Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't even imagine that. Um, amazing. That's 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 heaven. And the scripture indicates, indicates that in the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth that will be together. It will be what we consider heaven. It will be this place where God dwells. And you read that in Revelation 21, this beautiful thing about the new heavens and the new earth. And we'll be with God forever. His unveiled glory and his all-encompassing presence. The new heavens and the earth. There you have it. A brief summary of four biblical truths concerning the last things. Eschatology 101. And I-, I-, I told you I could not get into any kind of specifics you can read in the Scripture of the second coming of Christ, the millennium, the final judgment, and new heaven and new earth. But I told you to turn to Revelation 19, didn't I? Hopefully you're still there. I want to just read through some of this. I just wanna, I wanna, I'm not going to get detailed. I just want to point some things so you can see all I just said. All those four things are clearly taught in Scripture whether you disagree about some of the specifics of these these four things are clearly taught in scripture and they're clearly taught just in ver- in, in chapter 19 beginning in verse 11 through 21 chapter 21 really through all of 21 we're not going to look at all that but look at 19 verse 11 with me revelation 19:11 and I saw heaven opened And this is John okay who's given this revelation from the lord and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and his head are many diadems and he has name written on himself. No one knows except himself. He is clothed, robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. Y'all remember another thing that John wrote? The Gospel of John? In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. And then in 1.14 and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glories of the only begotten it's Jesus All right, keep going I'm getting chills thinking about this and he, the armies which are in the heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. Listen to this. And his robe, and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and they cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of commanders, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and men and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beasts, and the kings of the earth, and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse against him in the army. So here's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's going to be a battle. I'm betting on him. He's going to win. Forever and ever and ever. But there's a second coming. Now look at chapter 20. All right? Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss. A thousand years. There we go. Millennium. Hold on. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until a thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. Now this is why I definitely don't believe in post-millennialism because let me tell you satan's not bound right now is he no way he's the deceiver of the brethren and he's alive and active today he's not bound right now he's going to be bound no, no matter where you think that's allegorical that, that he'll be bound for an allegorical or figurative amount of time or a true thousand years he will be bound and he's surely not bound now Verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment with, was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of the testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received the mark of the forehead on their hand. And they came to, the life, came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. All right, this is a millennial. Again, we're not arguing about the literate, literate, whether it's literal or not right here. It's going to be a millennium. The rest of the dead did not come to life until a thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over the second death, over the second death, has no power. But they will be priests in, of, of God and of Christ, and will reign with Him forever. So these people, these people who have been trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no second death for them. They're part of the first resurrection. They won't die forever. They won't be cast into judgment. Okay. So we have what we we clearly see. There's a second coming. We clearly see. There's some kind of a millennium it's clear there's a thousand years all right then look at verse seven when a thousand years are completed satan will be released from his prison and he will come out to, to, to see the nations which are on the four corners of the earth gog and Magog to gather them together for the war uh, the number of them is like the sand of the seashore and they come up and let's skip down to verse 11 here we go this is part of it still all right all right, verse 12, ten, and the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will torment, tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whom whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. and The books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were in written in the books, according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. When we say final judgment, can we agree that's about final judgment? Sure, we can agree with that. All right. Then in verse t- chapter twenty one, then I saw a new heaven and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. So we have this new he- this new earth. Now here comes the holy city. The- there's a new heaven, new earth. There's a holy city coming down. Listen to this. And I saw heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. The tabernacle represents what? The presence of God. This is amazing. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And you can read on that rest of that chapter about the new heavens and new earth and the holy Jerusalem that comes from heaven. Would you say there's going to be a new heaven and new earth? you bet it says it right here regardless of what we think about all the different things that is clear those four things are clear in scripture he's coming again right there's going to be a millennial there's going to be some kind of land there's going to be a judgment and there's going to be a new heaven new earth great news it's right there in scripture so what should our response be to the second coming of christ and all that comes with that how should we respond to these truths what should be our response to what the bible teaches about the last things it should be just like John, the end of the book of Revelation who says this. He who testifies of these things says, Yes, I'm coming quickly. Quickly. This is the Lord Jesus. Look at John's response. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, will we say that? Lord, we, we hope you come today. Would we, could we really say that and not go, Oh, okay, well, if he comes today, I won't be able to... And, and, and this won't happen. Uh, can we say with John... Come, Lord Jesus. Is this our response? Listen to what Wayne Grudem says concerning Christ's return. To some extent, then, the degree to which we actually long for Christ's return is a measure of the spiritual condition of our own lives at the moment. Do we long for his return? And if things are going good right now, they're not even close to what it's going to be like. long for his return. Martin Luther, the great 16th century German reformer, once said this, there are only two days on my calendar, this day and that day. It's also been quoted, he said, there's only two days on my calendar, this day and the day of judgment is what he's speaking of. The the end of things. Those are only two days. Uh, It's also been summarized that he, uh, you could summarize these things by Luther saying, live every day for that day. Live every day for that day. Are you living every day for that day? Are you living in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again and there will be a final judgment? Well, you heard of, you've heard of these things. You might be a redneck if. I've got a better list. All right? Here it is. Ten signs you might be ignoring the fact that Jesus is coming again and there will be a final judgment. Or ten signs that you're failing to live every day for that day. Number one: failing to live that for 10 signs this is one sign failing to live for every day of that day. You might be doing this. All right here we go. You have a little or no desire for prayer. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Number two, you would rather make money than give money. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Number three, you're not motivated to witness to those without Christ. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. You are more concerned with your children's educational or athletic accomplishments than the condition of their souls. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Your giving is more calculated than it is sacrificial and cheerful. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Now you're thinking, this hurts. Believe me, I know I came up with this list. And I quit at 10 because it hurts so bad. Every one of these hurt. So I got five more. You no longer grieve over sin. Might be a clear sign you're not living every day for that day. And the reality that there'll be, Jesus is coming and there'll be a final judgment. Number seven, there are people in your own family with which you have not shared the gospel. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Number eight, you have to be begged to serve in the fulfilling of the church's mission. Might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day. Number nine, you spend more time pulling weeds out of your yard than pulling weeds out of your life might be a sign that you're not living every day for that day and you live your life as if you were your own you live your life this probably summarizes all of them right you live your life as if it were your own let me tell you you were bought with a price therefore honor god with your body that's what the scripture says now all these hurt and i hope you're not thinking about someone else when you when we went through here oh yeah i know somebody like that because if all truth be known we could all look down through here and go oh wow there's some signs that i'm not living every day for that day and my hope is is that god would change us now remember the statement that i made at the beginning of our time together he's so heavenly minded that he's no earthly good again i, I disagree with that i still disagree with that my hope is that by god's grace we will all become so heavenly minded that we become earthly good if christ were return today are you ready to meet him are you ready as a believer or as a non-believer? Would you welcome the judgment for believers for rewards? Or would you cower? And if you don't know Christ, you've never repented of your sin, stop trusting in yourself and turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You won't be ready. And you'll be part of the great white throne judgment. And you'll be cast in a lake of fire forever. That's truth. But there's good news you can be rescued from that. So I pray that you would turn and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today let's pray Lord thank you for your word and there was a lot of in your word about the end times but Lord I pray that we would respond to the things that we do know that you are coming again and there will be a final judgment Lord Lord I pray for everyone here Lord that we would live our lives live every day for that day we would live our lives in light of the fact that you are coming again and there will be a judgment would help us all look deep within and cry out to you to change us So we live in a way that can only be explained by you. That we become so heavenly minded that we become earthly good for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.